are starting, uh, kicking off the year with a four-week mini-series. We'll get back to Corinthians, but we're going to take four weeks talking about our series on taboo. So not a word, maybe you don't use it all the time, but don't worry, I looked it up for you. So when we say taboo, here's the dictionary definition, something that is not acceptable to say or mention. Again, it's not something we don't deal with, but if something's taboo, that's something, oh, you're not really allowed to talk about. I think churches in particular can struggle with these cultures, right, where there's a lot of things, okay, they're out there, but they're just taboo. We don't talk about them, and we definitely don't talk about them in church. So when I think about taboo, and I think about that, I can't help but think about the game, taboo. So have you ever played it, right? So there's a word you're trying to get them to say, but there's certain words that are taboo. If you say them, you get buzzed. And so I always think about that when I think of taboo, which always makes me think of the scene from Four Christmases. And I, I almost played it because it's so good. And by almost played it, I mean I'm going to play it. You can say, like, look, or like something. Can't say look. Okay, Mom, I'm not the one with the card. I'm giving you examples. Okay, if I have the thing here, oh, you see this? You I can't say see. Okay, well, I'm just explaining it, how the game works. Can't say game. Mom, the answer's been said. She said the answer. Yeah, I, let's just do the next okay, one. Okay, let's go. We're running out of time. Just, let's, you know what I mean? I got it. Okay, so this, okay, this is something that you would eat, and uh, you put it on the barbecue, and... Chicken. It's my favorite. Beef. Um, you can't say beef. Mom, I'm not the one saying the things. Did you get that? Just shh. You can't say shh. Okay, Mom, I can say okay, shush. Okay, let's just move on. You can't say shush. Kebab. Mom, it's kebab. It says I can't say shish. 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 <laughs> and I could say it, because I don't have it, and that's why there's a thing here, so that I can't see okay, what it is. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. <laughs> Our time's up. What's this attitude, Brad? I don't have an attitude. I've shut down. She buzzes me. I'm trying to explain to you how to play the game. You obviously don't understand the best ways to play the game. And I'm shutting down. <laughs> now, for those of you that were playing games over the holiday with your family, I hope that was therapeutic for you. Get that out. I do love it. You start the scene, you flip the tube, right? And you, I... I I debated on playing it because it is a little silly, but I think it is kind of perfect where I wanted to go with this, right? Especially the end where, you know, I'm shutting down because you don't know how to play the game, right? And so as much as that's silly, I think in a very real way, right, that happens in life. So when you get buzzed enough, this is going to get out of hand. I'm warning you. I will buzz this the whole time, right? When you get buzzed... What happens? We shut down. I think that happens in church a lot. And maybe kind of you were your own kind of taboo buzzer where you didn't feel comfortable talking about it. Maybe it was a parent or maybe it was the church you were raised in where a lot of things, oh, 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 you know, talk about that. This is church. And what happens? Right? So maybe you struggle with that. You just have some honest things you're wrestling with. Maybe as a kid, you went to your parent, oh, mom, dad, I just, I know you want me to be a Christian, but I know I'm, I'm just kind of wrestling. I don't know if I believe. And they cut you off, don't you? Don't you dare. You have faith. Maybe you wrestled with, well, I don't know. Mom, I don't know how to say this, but I might be attracted to. We don't talk about that. 
Whatever maybe your belief is, or maybe whatever you are wrestling through, maybe the thing that it is, you went to a, a pastor, a priest, a mom and dad, or maybe even yourself, you just thought, okay, we don't talk about that. That's taboo. So what happens, though, when something is taboo? You learn from Vince Vaughn, well, now I'm shutting down. Right? So what do we do with that? So that taboo thing that you're struggling with, you know, you're honestly wrestling with, it doesn't go away. So what do we do? We try to, we lock it in a dark closet. Right? We try to lock it away. You know, we put it down in the basement and we, we lock it up. But here's the thing, and here's why we're doing this series I want you to be aware of. So whatever that kind of thing that you didn't feel was okay to talk about, when you put that down in the basement and locked it up, you at that same time are giving the enemy the key. See, we are called to be a people of light, not of darkness. Where, I want you to think about it in your home, like where does mold and mildew grow in the dark? See, that is Satan's playground. That is when the enemy has perfect conditions to run free and give you all kind of lies that he can feed you. That's a perfect place to be open to the deception of the enemy when we lock it away and when we try to stuff it. It doesn't go away. In fact, that's the conditions where it grows, these things that are taboo. So what is the point of this series and what are we called to do with these things that we wrestle with? I love this verse. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So we're not going to do all of them, but maybe you've wrestled with these things and you've tried to stuff them because you didn't feel it was appropriate to mention. What I hope we can do is let's bring them out to the light and allow those kind of lies to fade away, those deceptions not to take hold in our lives. So that is... Kind of the next four weeks of a taboo series. So what is the first thing, the first issue, kind of taboo topic we're going to deal with this week, and it is doubt. Do you wrestle with, I'm supposed to be a Christian, a person of faith, but sometimes I doubt. Is this really real? Maybe you've tried that again to bring it up, that do you really believe this? I see parents wrestle with this. Their kids struggle with doubt and our temptation is to just shut it down. Don't you dare. We're Christians. Don't you doubt. You're supposed to have faith. And you kind of stuff these doubts down. So let's bring them out to the light. And let's be honest that doubt is something that in different levels, different phases, different seasons, we can all wrestle with, we can wrestle with doubt. I mean, do you ever do that? I mean, do you ever, when you're struggling and you're just sitting in your room, do you ever just wonder like, God, do you really hear me? Like, am I just praying to the ceiling right now? You're telling the God of the universe can hear my prayers and even my prayers, like, God, this is hard. You know, we just, we, we, we lift our hands in praise I'm just like, God, one time, like, while I'm just, like, praising, would you just slap me with a high five, like, okay, you're here, like, I, I know it. I'm so tempted to do that when people, when I'm walking down the aisle to just give them a high five when they're praising, right? To just, is this real? Do you wrestle with that? Can we be honest enough to talk about, man, how we struggle with our doubts? And that's what we're looking at this morning. 
We're going to talk a little bit about doubt and faith. But more importantly, I want us to shift to, okay, we wrestle with these doubts, but why and what do we do with them, I think, is even a more helpful question. So let's bring our doubts kind of and expose them to the light. And as we've kind of stuffed our doubts and you have on different levels, I just kind of want to start by three, I think, myths kind of lies that I think we can be attacked with as we've tried to put this in the darkness. And so we'll walk through those now. First myth, faith and doubt are opposites. This was huge for me. As I've wrestled through this and struggled through this, like, okay, do we really believe this? Does this really matter what Jesus did? And somehow I'm saved because I prayed a prayer and I wrestled with my confidence in believing that, to understand faith and doubt are not opposite ends of the same spectrum. They are not mutually exclusive, and that is what kept me, I think, imprisoned to not be able to talk about it because I wanted to be a man of faith. And if I'm a man of faith, how can I be honest that I have doubts? I thought I couldn't have faith if I had doubts, and if I had doubts, I couldn't have faith. But to understand that these aren't, I hope you find freedom, mutually exclusive. That you can express your faith in the midst of doubts. These aren't the same thing. Faith is having belief and trust in something. Doubt is your confidence level, your comfort level in that belief coming through. So they're not the same thing. So to have faith is to trust and believe. And as we talk about to trust and believe in Jesus. So the opposite of that isn't doubt and wrestling. It's unbelief. It's choosing not to trust and commit to Christ. So they are not opposites. You can express your faith. So as you are attacked and burdened by doubts, faith is the muscle that you exercise to walk through them. They are not opposites. It's like, I think we think this all the time, right? Is kids encourage in fear. It's like Mufasa had explained to Simba, if you remember that. Oh, you're never afraid. And at time out, you have to explain. Is courage the absence of fear? Or is courage what you do in the midst of fear? Right? Do you understand that? Remember, we get to that place. Okay, if I'm a person of courage, it doesn't mean I never have fears. It means here's what I choose in the midst of them. To be a person of faith doesn't mean you never have doubts and never wrestle through this. Faith is what you commit to and exercise in the midst of it. And I hope you find freedom in that as I think this verse unpacks. So this is John writing to a church. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you see both components in there? Those who believe. These are believers that have faith. Why is he writing? So that you may know. Right? He understands that, yes, there are people of faith, but they need to grow in their confidence, grow in their peace, grow in their certainty. These can coexist. My wrestling through this, but also my choice to commit to it. I think one of the things that is helpful to understand when we're talking about God, it's just not, I have doubts that there is a God. Okay, 
But it's not just a concept, it's an invitation to a relationship. And I think that gets a little more helpful. Because again, compare it to maybe those of you who are married. That you can commit in the midst of uncertainty. Right? So when you got married, were you 100% certain that that would work out? That you know, without a shadow of a doubt, 100% certain this marriage is going to work out? No. And some of you are like, I'm still married. I still don't know how this thing's going to play out. Does that mean you didn't commit? No. You experienced enough. I'm watching all the couples like, I love you, boo. You know, we're good. So, look, you still need to make a choice. You've experienced enough of someone's heart. You say, I trust their heart and I'm committing to them. And that's how it is with God. It's not that you have perfect, now it is different with God because there is certainty on his end, but you can have feelings of uncertainty and still make a choice to commit. Okay, I hope you understand that these aren't mutually exclusive. They can coexist. They're not opposite ends of the same spectrum. Faith is what you exercise in the midst of doubt. So that's one myth. So let's dive into the second myth. I think all these lies, too, are what keep us from bringing into the light. So wait, if I have doubt, isn't God, God is going to be angry about my doubts. Isn't it a sin to question God? To doubt God? And if I do that, is God going to be angry with me? Here's the, I don't think it's a sin to question God. We have this fear that if you doubt God, that he's going to strike you with a lightning bolt, like, I am the almighty, how dare you? I created the world. That's a great impression of God, if you've ever seen one. But right, we, we have this fear that God is going to be mad if we doubt him. And even the whole thing, I don't think it's a sin to doubt God. And I think like anything, I think it could be. You can use it sinfully. But this was helpful to me as well, even if you're in that camp, that it's a sin to doubt God. Well, I think that's debatable, but I think it's surely a sin to lie to God. So you know what? If you are doubting God, let's not lie to him about it. And let's be honest with God, which is so funny. As if God doesn't know that you're struggling. You know, you can fool God, like, no, God, I'm not doubting. And he's like, wow, you had me. You have such a good poker face. Like, wow, I had no idea. Okay, God knows, and I don't think he's angry. Let's look at how God in the flesh responds to somebody doubting. I think this is a huge passage that helps shed light onto wrestling with our doubts. This is Matthew 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? If you begin to unpack some of the context of this, this is shocking. This is John the Baptist. This is, out of no prophets for hundreds of years, God finally anoints a prophet to speak on his behalf. He had one job to do, to point the way to Jesus. And now here he is, John the Baptist, saying, are you the one? This is crazy. He already baptized Jesus. He watched the heavens part and a dove descend on Jesus himself and heard the voice of God from heaven. 
And we you hear people say that all the time. Well, if the clouds are parted, then God would. The clouds literally parted in his case. And now he here, now look where he is. But now John's in prison, and he's struggling to believe, Jesus, are you the one? He's wrestling, he's doubting. Jesus, are you really him? I have a lot riding on this. I'm in jail. This is John the Baptist. And we worry, if I doubt, is God going to be angry at me? Look at how God in the flesh responds. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. And lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So first, what does Jesus do? He points him to scripture. He engages his doubts. He wrestles with him. He helps him believe. Basically, he's like, you go tell John I'm pretty legit. Like, he can settle down. But that's not even the part I want to highlight. I love that. So as John's disciples are walking away kind of with an earshot, Jesus you know, takes him to the scripture, shows him why he is the Christ, the prophecies. But then he talks about John. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This glowing review. In the midst of, of John questioning him, are you really it or should we look for another? In the midst of him doubting Jesus, Jesus looks at John and says, I love that guy. John, that's my guy. He doesn't drop the hammer. He doesn't flip out. John, this was your job to point to me and now you're doubting me? How dare you? He says, John, that's my guy. He's the best. You ever see this verse kind of tucked away in Jude? Have mercy on those who doubt. We're afraid to talk about our doubts because we think God or maybe our pastor is going to drop the hammer. Do you know what God calls us to? To be merciful. I think God knows that this is difficult. And he wants, and you know, I don't God doesn't desire us to doubt. I know that because all throughout Scripture, he calls us to rest, to peace, to assurance, to certainty. Have faith, and you can be secure. So he doesn't, I don't think he desires us to doubt, but he doesn't damn us either. And so in the midst of that, with all those calls to certainty, what does that also tell you? God doesn't desire doubt, but I think he's aware that this is hard. Like, there's a reason he's constantly encouraging us to this, reminding us of this, because he knows we're going to forget. He knows this is hard to be a person of faith in a fallen world. So I don't think God is angry with our honest doubts. He calls for mercy, and I think he can engage us in our doubts. So, third one. Faith and doubt are opposites. I don't think God is angry about my doubts. And I think this is one that keeps it taboo. A lot of times, I think we think, I'm the only one that really doubts God. Isn't it easy to think that? 
And you come to church and you just see people just praising. They just, it just seems like they love God. It's so easy for them and we judge them. And I promise you, you are not alone. I remember somebody saying that to me recently in my office. Like, you know what? It's just not that easy for me. It's not that easy as it is for you. And I was like, watch your mouth. This is not easy for me. I didn't say that since my pastor was like, let's pray about it, you know. But that's what I wanted to say. Like, look, this didn't come easy for me. Do you know how hard it is every day to believe this to be true and to walk like this is true? I pray every day, God, help me to live like you're real as I know you are. This is hard down here. And I remember becoming a Christian, reading every book on doubt and, you know, living for an invisible God and all these things. This is hard. This is not easy, and you're not alone if you wrestle through doubts. And I do think some of this is a little bit of a temperament thing. It seems to come a little easier for some than others. And there's people, I'm just talking to a good buddy of mine, and I don't know if that's just the gift of faith, but you got some of them George Michael people out there. We're like, how do you hold on? You're like, I don't know. I just have faith, the faith, the faith. George Michael, remember? <laughs> Baby! You know, like, so it just seems to come to people like that sometimes. And I don't know how. I'm not one of them. I'm not a George Michael Christian where I just, oh, just faith is second nature to me. It's not. It is a choice I made. It is what I put my hope in. But you're not alone if you wrestle through this. And it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. You're saved by the presence of your faith, not the absence of your doubts. Not by an amazing faith, right? Jesus said about a mustard seed. It's not the size of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you, if you've ever heard that. And if you wrestle with that, it might not mean you're not a person of faith. It might just mean you're in a fallen world and this is hard. Look at this quote. Augustine, one of the most influential church leaders, said this, the world, the world of Christian faith is not a fairy tale, make-believe world, question-free and problem-proof, but a world where doubt is never far from faith's shoulder. That's just the way it is. It's hard. Again, I don't want, I don't celebrate it, but I want to acknowledge that this is difficult to walk in faith. You talk about faith as belief. You can believe and still wrestle with doubts. I don't want you to wait till all your doubts are over to take a step of faith. I want you to learn to rest in your faith as you wrestle with your doubts, not after, or you'll never take that leap of faith. I think a leap of faith, I always think of this famous scene in Indiana Jones. It's a great picture of faith, right? You can't see it, right? But that's that massive just canyon he's supposed to cross. And somehow he's supposed to be caught and make it across. Because faith is belief and trusting. But it's also in what is unseen. That's Hebrews 11. What is faith? It's conviction of things unseen. That's a measure of what our faith is. So if you remember the movie, he takes that big dramatic step, just puts his foot up. I'm like, I'd be feeling for it just in case. And you trust in something. He trusts that he's going to be caught even though he can't see it. And here's why I know you're not alone. When we're talking about faith, we're talking about things in the unseen. Unseenness 
always has a measure of uncertainty how it feels, right? If I were to dismiss everybody and say, all right, close your eyes, put a blindfold on as you make your way to the car. I'm guessing that would impact your confidence as you walked. Because unseenness brings a level of uncertainty, right? And it's not that God is uncertain. It just feels that way to us. And that is the journey of faith. It's trusting in something I can't, and it's not blind faith. That's where this clip is so great. Like, man, he had every reason to believe that he was going to be caught, but he can't see it, hence faith. So I think, in fact, I know you're not alone as you wrestle with this, and this doesn't all make sense. I'm with you, and more people around you are in that place than you realize. But we can still commit to Christ and walk by faith. So I don't want to just sit here and pretend nobody has them. Well, if we have faith, or if we have doubts, I mean. I think a better question is not, okay, when we have doubts, why do we have doubts? I think that's a more compelling question. Because they're going to be there. We're going to wrestle with this on some level, but I want to ask, why? Because I think it's important to differentiate Do I have honest doubts or am I just hiding behind my doubts? Those are very different. What kind of doubt are we talking about? Just genuine, I want to walk with God. I'm trying to know truth. I'm trying to please him, but this is hard and I can't make sense of it. Or am I just hiding behind my doubts? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is pride. And he's getting at some of this issue. Is it really, I can't fathom that there's a God? I doubt in the midst of all this that there's a God, or am I wrestling with the fact that I don't get to be him? Because that's a big difference. Because some people, I think, aren't being honest. I don't want to believe there's a God, because if there is a God, now I got to follow him. And I've seen this. Oh, we're talking about doubts, and you peel back a couple layers, time out. You just want to sleep around. So let's not pretend that this is about, I don't know if there's a God. It's just, wait a minute, I don't want there to be a God, because now i got to submit to him. That's dishonest doubt. In our culture, we celebrate doubt, right? You know, I've heard it said that way, like we are told to doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts. Why? Why can't you choose to believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts and ask and question your doubts? Why am I really doing this? You know, some people want to say they're a skeptic, but you're a closed skeptic. You're not open to what the truth is. You've decided there's no God because you want to run your life. So let's stop pretending that this is about doubt. This is a perfect picture of Pilate. I don't know if you remember the story. I mean, Pilate was the one who kind of oversaw Christ's trial, and eventually sends him to the cross. He was a skeptic. He had his doubts, right? Are you really the one? And he, I think on some level, he really wanted to know. But he wasn't an honest doubter, because he had enough evidence. Stop pretending if I just had more evidence as if it's only an intellectual issue. John had enough evidence. Pilate had enough evidence. Jesus gives us evidence. But that's not the issue. It's not just head, it's here. Because ultimately, 
Pilate was a skeptic, a doubter, wanted to know truth, but wasn't willing to live in light of it. So how did he use his doubts about Jesus to get out of responsibility? So why are you doubting? Do you want there to be a God? Are you afraid of what that will entail if there is a God? That's very different between just honest doubt. This is hard, like John. I've heard it said this, and I think it's really helpful. You know, you think of, we listen to tornadoes and all these fronts. Like, how does a front happen? It's warm air hits cold air, and it causes a nasty storm. Honestly, I think that's honest doubt. You take the warm air of your expectation of what you thought God was going to do for you, and then it hits the cold, hard reality mixed in with its seeming silence of God. Now the storm clouds of doubt brew. That hits all of us. And that hit John. He's sitting in jail. Like, I'm your guy, I'm a prophet, and I'm rotting in jail, and that brings doubt. Okay, are you really the one? And that's just honest doubt that I think all of us wrestle through. So why are you doubting, and do you really want to know the truth, and are willing to live in light of that? So I think it's better not to talk about if, but to talk about, okay, why do I have them, and when I have them, I think in some ways... Let me go back to that. I think it's so easy, too, when we doubt, to make it about all these kind of side issues. Okay, and Pilate, in the end, had to render a verdict. And he had to render a verdict about Christ. And that's where I like this quote. The deepest conviction of the Christian faith is that Christ is not wrong. Just like Pilate, he tried to wash his hands of it. I want us to be honest enough to know to just say you're an agnostic And to take this cosmic neutral position is not good enough. You have to render a verdict. To not render one? I love the way that's stated. It's to say, no, I don't think Christ was the real deal. Just be honest, too. To say, oh, no, I don't know. It's not good enough. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. To not put your faith in Christ is ultimately, even without voting, is to say, I'm not trusting him. I don't believe him. But have you have those? Okay, is it honest doubt? And last question is, what do we do with our doubts? I think this is the most helpful of all as we try to figure out, okay, do I have them? What do I wrestle with? I want us to learn from John the Baptist. The passage that we just read, stop gossiping about God to other people. Oh, I'm so frustrated with God. I doubt God. Instead of talking about God to other people, do what John did. Where did he take his doubts? He went straight to Jesus. You can pretend like they're not there. Or when you have these wrestles, if you can maybe go to Jesus with your doubts. It's crazy. God invites you, and this is why I don't think it's a sin, to wrestle with him. God's people, Israel, the very name means to wrestle with God. Every time when I come home, that's like the first thing my son always says to me. Like, as soon as I walk in the door now, he's into like, you want to wrestle? And I'm like, yeah! Like, and we go, like, that's all, like, that's our love language right now is wrestling. He loves it. God loves to wrestle with you. You're struggling. He's like, bring it on. Let's hash this out. 
That was the name of God's people himself, Israel, those who wrestle with God. Read the Psalms. They're full of doubt. God, why have you abandoned me? He invites you to wrestle with him, to bring your doubts to him. Doubt could lead you down a bad road. But it could also help strengthen your faith. I have a good friend of mine that has been tormented with doubt most of his life and just really wrestles with, am I really saved? And he also talked about how hard that's been, but also the benefit that is brought in his life. Because as these doubts have crept up, he's brought them to Jesus. And just asked, like, Jesus, do you really love me? Like, am I really yours? Are you really here? And in that journey of bringing his doubts to Jesus, God, in his timing and his way, began to answering that question. I love you. I'm here. So as you have doubts, don't lean out. Lean in. Bring them to the surface. Bring them to Jesus. Tell him your doubts and listen and allow him to answer. That's where the calls to certainty is to lean in. Live it out and watch him start to show up in your life. I haven't heard from God. Okay, are you listening? 1 John is a book written to people to grow in certainty, grow out of their doubts. What if this week you just came to Jesus every day, read a paragraph, read a chapter, and just asked God, it's hard to see you and hear you. Would you speak to me? And watch him start to move in your life. And that's where we grow in certainty. We hear his voice. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. And the more, I don't doubt like I used to, not to say I won't have another wave of it, but I've heard his voice enough. I've seen his movement enough, and that helps me grow in confidence and certainty. And there's a thing, too. We want more evidence. But as you talk about doubt, I want to end with one more passage and one more story. It's hard not to talk about doubting Thomas. Because in our doubts, God, just show me more evidence. Would you just do this? One, that isn't the answer you hope it would be. It's not just intellectual. Tons of people had evidence and still doubted. But the more you do that, the more you want to move out of faith. So Jesus showed himself to Thomas, who said, I can't believe unless I see. And look what Jesus responded to him. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. As you wrestle with your doubt and you want God to just give you more evidence, and God says, I actually just kind of want you to trust me more. And he meets us in our doubts. He gives him answers. He takes them to Scripture. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Do you believe that? That we're more blessed we're better off by not seeing Jesus. There's something more beautiful about the step of faith, about trusting in him even when it seems uncertain. But make no mistake, it feels uncertain, but it's not because it is based off of him. He will be there. He will catch you if you take the leap of faith. It may feel scary. It may feel uncertain, but it is never in doubt because it is based off of him and what he's done. And I just want to end with this story. I found it encouraging. Henry Nouwen, he was a very influential teacher, Christian writer, philosopher. 
taught at Harvard, Yale, and then went to go work with people with mental disabilities. And has just this wonderful story. And he, at his end of his life, is wrestling with his doubt, and he gets to know people in a traveling circus and befriends a trapeze, like people that do the trapeze artists. And this is a story of their conversation that kind of helps me, helped him as we wrestle with choosing faith in our doubts. Here's how it goes. This is the trapeze artist saying, the public might think that I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me within a split, split second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. How does it work? I asked. The secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me. You do nothing, I said, surprised. Nothing, he repeated. The worst thing that the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrists, I might break them, and he might break mine. And that would be the end for the both of us. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch. The flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. When he said this with so much conviction, the words of Jesus flashed through my mind. Father, into your hands I commend thy spirit. Don't be afraid. Remember that you are the beloved child of God. He will be there for you when you make your long jump. Don't try to grab him. He will grab you. Stretch out your arms and hands and trust, trust, trust. Is it scary? You bet. Is it terrifying to let go of being God of my life and fly through the air when we don't see Jesus right now? You bet. But to choose that is to understand he will be there for you. And will you commit to him in the midst of that fear? Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for your gracious welcoming of our doubts to wrestle with you. If we go about it honestly, God, this is hard. It's scary to trust you in the midst of what we cannot see. But God, help us to know that you will be there for us. That if we would just let go and experience that terrifying leap of faith, that you will catch us. That we can't catch you, but you will be there for us. And Father, we struggle. It's scary. God, we proclaim that we trust you now in Jesus' name. Amen.